0: Good to see you guys. My name's Colin. I'm on staff here uh, with Salt Company. Happy April Fool's Day, especially to the uh, freshman toga thing thing that's happening. Uh, disciples. Disciples. Thank you. Uh, disciples. Yeah, follow Jesus. It's awesome. Um, all right. We're going to continue on in the David series. So if you guys would turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel, that's where we're going to be, Second Samuel 7. Um, I'm really excited to keep going in this series. Uh, I love the Old Testament. You guys should love the Old Testament. I love the story of David because we can see how our lives actually map onto the story of David and these different stories in the Old Testament. And So like Drake did last week, we mapped our life onto uh, onto what God was doing in the Old Testament. We're going to do the same thing again tonight. So if you guys remember last week, David's anointed as king. And David defeats Goliath, but he doesn't actually become the the recognized king of Israel for a few years. And so Saul, the current king, chases him down and tries to kill him, Uh, doesn't, is unsuccessful. Saul ends up dying. There are crazy stories. You guys should finish the book of 1 Samuel. Read it on your own. I dare you. It's good. Um, All right. So we're going to be in 2 Samuel 7. We're going to start in verse 11, the second half of verse 11. This is what it says. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son." When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In, in accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all his, this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So I love this passage. And some of you are like, what's happening? I love this passage because this passage gives us a window into the story God is telling throughout all of Scripture. So it's a window into David's life, but it's also a window into the story that God is telling from the first book of the Bible to the last book of the Bible. And it follows this theme of kingdom and kings throughout your Bible. So if you didn't know... Your Bible has themes, a lot of them, you can trace them throughout your Bible, and when we see the themes of the Bible, it actually helps us see our Bible come alive. It makes the Bible one complete narrative, which it is. So the Bible's not individual stories, it's one story. So if you've ever taken a class that I've taught, if it's Gospel 101, or if you were in temple class, I say things like this, or I said this, you cannot fully understand the stories in your Bible until you understand the story of your Bible. You cannot fully understand the stories in your Bible until you understand the story of your Bible. And so I want to do just that. I want to zoom out and help us understand the story of our Bible and how this passage in 2 Samuel fits into that. So if, if you're still lost, this is, this is how I, I, I'm thinking about it. You guys know when you're hanging out with a friend, you decide to watch Netflix And you're at your friends, and your friend, in their arrogance, puts on, like, the next episode of the show that they're watching. Like, they just assume you're right with them in the show that they're watching. And so let's just say they're in season four of an eight-season series. And so if you watch an episode in the middle of season four of an eight-season series, you're going to not really understand what's going on. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like you just start a show right in the middle of it and you might understand the 40 minute episode but in the midst of that 40 minute episode there's going to be this like underlying story that is going to go completely over your head. Right? Because any great show has an underlying story that, that weaves from season to season that weaves throughout episodes to compile one story throughout a season or one story throughout a show. And so it would... It would be really hard to understand what God's doing if I just gave you this passage and didn't color in the other side because it's one story that God's telling. And so that that is what we're going to do tonight is that I'm going to help you see the story that God's telling in your Bible through kingdom. And we're going to move quickly, but we're going to go from Genesis to Revelation. So buckle your seatbelts. You might not be able to follow in your Bible. The verses should be on the screen. But I hope this gives you a greater appreciation for kingdom, but also a greater appreciation for your Bible, because your Bible's really cool. Okay, so we're going to start. We're going to start in the beginning. We're going to start in episode one, which is Eden, in Genesis 1 and 2. God creates the world, and God creates people in his own image, in Genesis 1:27. God establishes a people for himself in Eden. And then this is what God says to them in Genesis 1:28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every, every living thing that moves on the earth. So before sin... Humanity is created and put in this garden and walking with God. They recognize God as their creator, that God has the power and that God has given them the power to be owners of the world. They're they're at home, right? They're living in the place they were created for. They were created for Eden and created to be with God and they were placed in Eden and they were with God. God has a people for himself and this is the, the goal of all human existence is to be with God to dwell with God and you and I are the exact same way we're no different we were created to be with God we were created for Eden but it doesn't take long before in Genesis three Adam and Eve reject God's power and choose to To rule themselves as opposed to be ruled by God. They choose to be their own people over being God's people. And God in his right judgment exiles them from Eden. He kicks them out of Eden. So the home that they were created for, they're now guarded from. And we are the same way. The home that we were created for... We're now, in a sense, guarded from. Our sin keeps us from being with God. We have Genesis 1 longings in a Genesis 3 world. Right? You guys, you guys know what I'm saying. This, this idea of, man, I, I feel like there should be something more. Like, no one has to teach you that. Your parents probably taught you the opposite: like, be content. But you have this, like, there should be something more. I have this longing for home that I can't quite put my finger on, but I cannot figure out what it is. We feel like we're guarded from the thing we were made for. But here's what I love about the Bible, is that we see the grace of God just throughout all the pages of Scripture. We see His mercy because in Genesis 3, the people reject God, but in Genesis 3, this is what God says to the serpent. Genesis 3, 14, the Lord said to the serpent, skipping to verse 15, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her, her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So here's what God says to the serpent. You will have a people, yes, but here's what God says to the serpent as well. I will also have a people. I will have a people and I will bring my people home. So in the message of the rest of the Old Testament and really the rest of the Bible is how is God going to bring his people home? How is God going to bring his people back to Eden when sin is so pervasive, when sin keeps us from God? And we go to episode two, we see Abraham God chooses Abraham to reestablish the promise that there will be a people of God that he will bring home. This is what God says to Abraham, Genesis 12, one through three. Now the Lord said to Abram, who becomes Abraham, go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promises Abraham that there's going to be a people of God that come from him. And he's going to bring that people home, right? In that promise there's land, there's people, and there's the blessing of God. There's land, there's people, and there's the blessing of God. And the rest of Genesis is this crazy story of how Abraham's descendants survive. And it looks grim a lot of the time. Like, they, there's a famine, they go into slavery, they're freed from slavery, and, and then they, they're finally free, but there's like, where's this land that you promised us? And they wander for a long time, and then they finally come to the land, and they're still not content, and they're saying, we want to be like the other nations. We want a king. We don't want you to rule us, we want a king to rule us. And then we get to episode three, which is where the story of David fits into the puzzle. Episode three is that God establishes a king to rule this nation. So again, last week we know Saul was first chosen, but then God removes his blessing from Saul and places it on David. And says, you are a man after my own heart, you are the man of my choosing, Last week we looked at David's anointing, and then again, remember, we fast forward a few years, and David becomes king of Israel. And that is where we get this promise. That's where we get the promise that we read at first. So I'm not going to read it again, but you can see it in your Bible. Right? There's this promise in Eden before sin You, you will be my people that will rule, and then sin enters and God still says, there will be a people. And then he promises again at Abraham and says, you will be a part of my people. And then he promises again at David and said, you will be a part of my people. Right? There's, there's this promise throughout scripture. And David's from the line of Abraham. We can trace this blessing. And God tells David he's going he's gonna to build a home for David. He's going to make his name famous. Like in God's sovereignty, he knew that people thousands of years later were going to be talking about David. He was going to make David famous. And he's going to do that as a means to fulfill his plan for the world. We see God's promises just dripped throughout history. And even though David won't build a house for God, his son will. And his son will rule. Like, God's inviting David into the story. God's looking at David and saying, I'm going to pour my blessing on you. And we see that. Like, God uses David to create prosperity in Israel. The people of Israel loved David. Like, why wouldn't you love David, right? He rescues you from this giant, and then, not only does he do that, any thing he touches it like turns to gold battles won economic prosperity like they're wealthy they are powerful and they're God's chosen people right so like last week Drake talked about thinking of them thinking of yourself as being part of the people of Israel I want you guys to do the same thing man think of what the people of Israel must have been feeling at this time Like, things are going well. And then 40 years after that, David dies. But it's okay because God comes through on his promises. David's son, Solomon, becomes king. And Solomon builds a temple. And it's this beautiful building, the most beautiful building they've ever seen. And the people of Israel are like, we're still good. We still got a king. Anything Solomon touches turns to gold. Things are going well. And we relate to the Israelites at this point, right? Like you guys have had moments of your life where you're like, things are going really well. I just killed it at that test. I finally got this girl to go on a date with me and she actually liked it. Like, things are going well. I just secured my dream job. Like, I think I'm think i flexing a little bit, right? Like, things are going well. My friends know things are going well, Right? Like, you guys know when you have those moments in your life or those seasons in your life, you feel like finally after all the work, after, after all the hardship, you've made it. And maybe for just a second you have this feeling of, I'm home. This is what I was made for. This is it. Life's good. I'm home. But here's what, what happens to Israel. Right? They, they're feeling the same thing. This is it. This is what we were made for. But David's son's sons become kings. So Solomon's sons become kings. And each generation, the king just gets a little worse. A little more sinful. But they, but they still put their trust in the king. Uh, we're going to be a great nation. But it doesn't take long before the Assyrians and later, later the Babylonians come over and take over Israel and send the people into exile. So not just like kind of take over, like destroy anything that they would built. It just leveled to the ground. And so this is episode four of the story is exile. So the people of God are in another country being ruled by a king that's not theirs. Think of what this must have been like. Like they were religiously free, they were politically free, and they weren't only free but prosperous. Like things were going so well and then it feels like overnight they have no power, they don't have a king, they don't have land, and they're a scattered people. They thought they were home and now they feel really far from home. The thing that they were hoping in was taken away and I feel like a lot of us actually feel like we're in exile most of the time not like we're home most of the time right a lot of us feel like this because the things that we hope in let us down and even if they don't like let's go to the test example even if you hoped in a test and then you did really well in the test well what happens the next day you got to wake up and study for another test. Then what happens the next day? you got to wake up and do the exact same thing again. What happens when you get the dream job? Well, you actually have to show up and work at your dream job. Right? Like, it's not just something you get to, f- like, this is awesome. It's like getting into college, right? I got into my dream college. And then you, like, forget about halfway through semester two, and you're like, oh, my gosh. So much work at my dream college. Right? Or Relationships. The honeymoon phase in relationships ends. Like, if you guys have ever been in a relationship, it's probably like two, three, four months in, depending on who you are, you wake up one day and you're like, oh my gosh, who am I dating? Right? And I'm not saying you break up with them, but like, if you're laughing, if you're laughing, you're one of two people. If you're laughing, you're one of two people. You've either like really had this experience before, or you're like, haha, that'll never happen to me. Just wait. Um... But, but we all have this feeling of like we build our home on a foundation and then the rug is ripped out from underneath. And we have the feeling of the thing that was going to bring us home now brings us further from home than we ever thought possible. So my question for you is what do you put your hope in? Are you putting it in money or in relationships or in success or approval. We can even put our hope in in like really good and godly things. They're just a bad thing to put ultimate hope in. Like maybe when I stop sinning, when I figure out how to follow Jesus, then it'll be better. But that's actually putting your hope in yourself. Right? When I'm saying when I figure out how to do this, I'm actually putting my hope in myself And I let myself down all the time. So, company, what do you put your hope in? Because the thing I don't want you to have happen to you is that the thing that you think is home bring you further from home. But that's exactly what sin does. We put our hope in sin, and sin brings us further from home. And so, in the midst of episode four of exile. In the midst of this, God sends the prophets to his people. So God sends these people of God with a word from God. And one example of that is Isaiah. And so Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here's what the prophets say to the people of Israel. God's going to come through, right? Like in Genesis 3, God's going to come through. Like with Abraham, God's going to come through. With David, God's going to come through. With the prophets, God is going to come through. But it's a different message than they think it is. right? The message is not, we need better land, we need more land, we need better armies, we need a bigger army, we need more political power. That's not the message. The message of the Old Testament is we need a better king who can actually bring us home. And throughout all the Old Testament, we see these whispers of God that says a, a better king is coming and he will bring us home soon. So now we're in episode 5 of the story of the kingdom of God in your Bible. And we're in Matthew 1 and this one I want you to see. I want you to see it as it goes on the screen. So God hasn't spoken to his people in years and this is how your New Testament opens. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. This is how the book opens. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why does it open that way? Because Matthew's writing to Jewish people who know the stories that I've just told you. He's communicating this message, the one that you've waited for, the one that your grandparents have waited for, the one that your great-great-great-grandparents have waited for, the one that this nation has waited for. The long-expected king has come. That's the message he's trying to communicate and the rest of the book of Matthew proves that Jesus is king and tells you about his kingdom and the home we have there. Jesus is the first king that doesn't screw it up. Jesus doesn't use his power to lord people but to serve people. And then the climax of your Bible is when the long-awaited king is killed. And I know a lot of you guys like maybe grew up in the church, and you're like, yeah, Colin, I knew you were going to get there, but I want to invite you guys just to step away from that for just a second. Imagine you're the people of Israel. This is the one. He's coming. He's going to rule over Jerusalem again. He's coming to take back what's ours. Rome can't touch him. But again, he's hanging on a cross. In Matthew 27, it says when they killed Jesus, they, they put this sign above the cross. It says, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. And they put that sign up to mock him, to say, If you're the one we've waited for, come off the cross and take back what's yours. If you're the King of the Jews, conquer Rome. If you're the king of the Jews, come off the cross. But the great turn of the Bible is not that that title was too big, but that that title was far too small. That Jesus wasn't just the king of the Jews, but that Jesus is the king of the world. And he didn't prove it by getting off the cross, he proved it by staying on the cross. Because the cross is absolutely the crucifixion of a savior. But if you wipe away the blood and step back and see the story that God's telling, you'll see that the cross is also the coronation of a king. That the king has come and the king has been crowned. And the hope of Christianity is not that the king has died but that death couldn't hold the king. And Jesus was raised to new life and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, Ephesians 1.20. Jesus has inaugurated a new and eternal kingdom that we can call home. That's what Jesus came to do, to bring this better kingdom here. So some of you aren't Christians and you've asked yourself your whole life, is God going to come through for me? Like, if God comes through, I'll give my life to him. But until God comes through, I'm doing my own thing. Here's what I'm saying to you. Is the message of the prophets was God is going to come through. The message I'm telling you is God has already come through for you. The cross is proof that God has come through for you. And when we follow Jesus, his spirit dwells in us. And we're at home. And we can live in his kingdom now. Like, I don't know if you know this, but when you're a Christian, you are the place where heaven and earth collide. You're the place where the kingdom is brought. In Christ, we are at home in the kingdom of God. And we get to live in that reality. We get to live in that reality. We get to worship our way into that reality. And and that's when we get a taste of it, right? So uh, what what do I mean by worship our way into that reality? I mean, in song, yes, absolutely. Quick challenge, side note. What if you actually sang to Jesus like he was the king of the universe? Do it, because that's who he is. He deserves it. But in life, like, the weather has been beautiful. Walk outside, see the sun, worship the king. Go out to eat, eat a steak, worship the king. Like there are so many good gifts of God's grace. We just need to open our eyes that we have a kind king who loves us. And we just have to worship him. And we get to live in this different reality when we know Christ. But some of you are Christians. And you're just like, that can't be it. Like Colin, you can't end your sermon there because that's just not my experience. You still feel like you're more of an exile. Like life is just kicking me in the gut and some of you are just really hurting or have been really hurt. Like far beyond how, what you can communicate to other people. Things have been done to you or experienced by you that you just can't get rid of and yeah I'm following Jesus and I'm fighting my sin but I can't shake this it's it's a wound that is so deep and it feels like you're really far from home but here's the thing is that there's one episode of the story left and that's that the king is coming back Because even those of us who are Christians in the room feel like exiles some of the time. And 1 Peter says that, that. That Christians can live as exiles. Because we can, in a sense, live in the kingdom of God now. Like, I don't want you to forget what I just said. We can live in the kingdom now. Christian, you are the place where heaven and earth meet. But being a Christian, there's this weird reality that the kingdom is here and yet the kingdom has not fully come yet the kingdom of God is inaugurated but the kingdom needs to be completed so here's how I thought about it is you guys have spring break next week that's awesome Um, some of you are going to Miami I talked to someone else on the way in that they're going to Arizona Uh, so wherever you're going You might be taking a plane. Let's just say you're going to Arizona and flying there. Um, If you're driving, I'm sorry. I don't know. Uh, So let's say you're taking a plane to Arizona, right? And the pilot comes on and he says, you know, 20 minutes or flight attendants, please prepare for landing. And you know, like, we're 20 minutes out. So everyone on the plane opens that window, right? Everyone's trying to sleep. And then at the moment that that comes on, the window's open and everyone looks out the window, right? Why? Because you know you're near your home. Or like where you're going. You know you're near. So you look out and maybe you see the city of Phoenix. You you see some of the scenery that is to be seen. Because you're low enough to the ground that, that you can see that you're in Arizona. Right? The plane is in Arizona. You are there. And yet you haven't experienced all that Arizona has to offer yet. You're in Arizona, but you haven't experienced all that Arizona has to offer yet. You've got to wait for the plane to land and the doors to open. Here's what I'm saying is that Jesus needs to come back to fully experience what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Jesus needs to come back to fully experience, to know the full experience of what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Here's what Revelation 19 verse 11 says. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Guys, the warrior king that Israel, Israel expected is actually going to come back. And he's going to take back what's his. And he's going to fully establish his kingdom. I love 2 Corinthians 1.20. It's not on the screen, but this is what it says. For all of God's Promises find their yes in him, therefore through him we say amen to the glory of God. Because Jesus fulfills all the promises of God and will fulfill all the promises of God. And so when it says that every tear will be wiped away, when pain will be no more, Christian, that is coming for you. And it's coming for you soon. You should love the coming of Jesus because that's the reality that you get to live in one day. So if you're hurting, hold on because God is going to be faithful to the world which means God is going to be faithful to you. Jesus is king and the king will return in ultimate victory. Jesus is Is coming, and in Christ, Jesus will bring you home and bring you to the better and more true and eternal Eden. That's our hope. Let's pray. Father, I love the message of the Bible that you don't leave us where where we're at in our sin, but sent Jesus to die and be. And raise again for our sin so we could have victory over our sin. And I I love that you don't just end the story and the gospel narrative there. But you say that I'm going to wipe away every tear. I'm going to wipe away all pain. I'm going to take you to a place where sickness is no more. I love David's response to the promise that you make to him. 2 Samuel 7, verse 25. Now, Lord God, fulfill the promise forever that you have made to your servant and his house. Do as you have promised so that your name will be exalted forever. Father, we pray the same thing. Do what you have promised so that your name may be glorified forever so that everyone would see that Jesus is king. We love you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.